We are back, and this is hour two of Ariva Martin in real time. And in this hour, I'm joined by Democratic uh, strategist and communication strategist Richard Green. He is a friend to the show, has been on with me many days and many uh, times after there have been big presidential debates. And I was excited to talk to Richard today because last night got a little bit crazy. And I don't know if I can say it's crazier than before, but it, it was definitely so beneath what you would expect for a presidential debate. Uh, I wanted to talk with Richard so we can give you our unfiltered opinions about who were the winners and the losers and what all of this means for the presidential election next year. Thank you, Richard, and welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure to see you, my friend. Let's start with Nikki Haley. I think she had the line of the night. I mean, it was the most, you know, I don't know if she wrote it in advance, you know, or if it's, she's just quick on her feet like that, but oh my goodness, I think we're going to all be, you know, saying that line over and over again. But overall, just, 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 you know, sound off. What did you think about last night? Well, I, I, I kind of don't know where to start <laughs> or if any of this matters. I mean, what the hell is going on? What are they doing? What are they running for? In my entire political career, I have never seen a primary in either party where one candidate was so incredibly out in front of everybody else. I mean, it is unless Donald Trump dies, chokes <laughs> on a chokes on a chicken wing or too much diet coke. Um, or is in jail without the ability to communicate at some point between now and November 5, he's going to be the Republican nominee. So the question is, what is Nikki Haley? What is Ron DeSantis? What are these people doing? Are they auditioning for vice president? Trump seemed to indicate that he doesn't really care about any of those seven. But mm -hmm. I would say that I would take what you said about Nikki Haley's comment and I would apply it to the entire Republican Party today. Every time I listen to Kevin McCarthy or any of the people talking about impeaching Joe Biden or anything else about the government shutdown, I, I think we all feel dumber. So I love <laughs> I think we love Nikki Haley for saying that. And I think she's she's the only one, Ariva, that I am afraid of. I would be afraid of Chris Christie because I thought Chris Christie was had the second best line. You know, not so much the Donald Duck part, but when he looks straight in the camera, he goes, I'm talking to you, you know, Donald. You know, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. But, but, but let me um, stop you for a second, Richard. Chris Christie, whatever he may have done last night, uh, when he doubled down on a comment about Joe Biden sleeping with Dr. Jill Biden, you know, the misogyny of that statement, you know, was not lost on women across this country. So he's just he's he's going nowhere fast anyhow. And so to the extent he needed another nail in the coffin, he just put the other nail in the coffin. But we owe him a debt of gratitude for making that comment because it it set up Mike Pence with the most <laughs> awkward statement I think I've ever heard in a debate. You want to tell people what that was? No, I, I didn't mean, want to say it again. No, you you said I don't think I heard. Maybe I missed that statement. Or what are you talking about? I want to make sure we're on the same page. 
It was the weirdest thing ever, right? So this is Mike Pence, who won't be alone in a room with another woman. Um, no one in the world can imagine him having sex at all and don't want to. So after Chris Christie said that about Joe Biden sleeping with someone who's part of the teachers union, Mike Pence felt it was somehow important <laughs> to remind people that he, for 30-something years, has been sleeping with a teacher who is not part of the teachers union. And it just, it was poorly delivered. He knew it was stupid, but it's like, dude, if you have to prove that you have a penis or whatever you're trying to do, that was not the time or the way to do it. And that just goes though to the absurdity of the debate. They're debating about sleeping, you know, basically you're talking about your wives. So yes, this whole sleeping with, you know, so it just shows how, you know, in the gutter, right? When you don't have anything important to say, you don't have anything substantive to say, you just make stupid, you know, comments like that. So whether you're sleeping with someone that's in the teacher's union or not, has it nothing to do with you and your ability to, you know, govern the country or even garner, garner the nomination in this case. Why was there so much, though, Richard, focus on ridiculous topics like that? The curtains, right? Tim Scott literally trying to, I guess, revive his dead campaign. I guess someone told him in the first debate he was too timid. He was too quiet. So he comes out being super aggressive, but not on anything of substance, not on anything related to what the American people care about. The curtains, curtain gate, <laughs> curtain gate. I, I just, these two South Carolinians Fighting like a married couple that is headed uh, a married eighteen-year-old, like twelve-year-old no, couple, like kids, I, you know, like petulant children. You had the fifty thousand dollars curtains. Well, you could have taken the curtains down. Well, you were in Congress, really. The curtains. But 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 Ariva, let's step back and let's just admit that I mean we're both lawyers. You know we've. we've taken some time to educate ourselves in our lives. When you have a political party, and this is who their audience is, that still today overwhelmingly says they like and support and approve of Donald Trump, mm -hmm. we know there's not a lot of gray matter involved in what's going on. And so I guess somehow they said, you know what, let's get as close as we can to housewives of Simi Valley or whatever the hell it is. And because that's the intellectual level of the audience that we need to try to pry away from the orange antichrist. Okay, so yes, you're right. Uh, and they were appealing to some demographic, obviously not a, a thinking, right? A demographic that is engaged in politics and really cares about our democracy. Here is the biggest thing that was not talked about, Richard, and it's Donald Trump's four criminal indictments. It's the determination yesterday before these debates started that Donald Trump inflated his assets, his properties and for loans and deflated them for purposes of evading taxes. A summary judgment motion granted by a judge in New York basically saying we don't even need 
testimony. We don't need a trial in the civil fraud case brought by the attorney general. The papers are so persuasive. The overwhelming evidence is right here on these documents that I can make that determination. How is it that if you're running for president against someone who now has been determined to be a rapist, let's not forget about E. Jean Carroll, a rapist and now a fraud, defrauder, a cheat, that you not bring that up? You're not really running for president. First of all, I don't think I'm looking forward to that trial because I think that's a big deal. And I think Letitia James, she's going for it. And I love her for that. And there's what is it? Two hundred fifty million dollars. I mean, a huge the amount possibility of, of losing Trump power, having to sell off major properties because he can't do business in New York. This could be more major than any of these criminal indictments. <laughs> Well, listen, we saw with Fox News and Dominion, you know, get get Republicans where they really can be heard. And that's in their pocketbook. Um, I don't know why it wasn't brought up, but I have to tell you, I don't think it makes a difference. Listen, Donald Trump, and we've talked about this before, the truest thing, perhaps the only true thing this pathological liar has ever said is that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and no one would care. And so this trial, all the four other criminal trials, they're not that bad. The trial next week is not as bad as shooting somebody in cold blood on Fifth Avenue. So it, it's not going to make a difference to whittle away support for the orange Antichrist. Um, and I am quite honestly, I'm getting a little concerned. And, uh, and going back to Nikki Haley, because I think Nikki Haley has been the winner of these debates. I mentioned last time, and you laughed at me, that Vivek Ramaswamy, not Swarmy, although he is Swarmy, um, <laughs> was going to rise in popularity because he's kind of Trump, a younger, more agile. But that hasn't really happened, uh, Richard. His numbers haven't skyrocketed. Um, his notoriety has, but his numbers haven't. I agree with you. So I will say in a rare we moment. We know his name now more than we did three, four, five, six months ago, but he's not polling in double digits. He's not getting close to being uh, competitive in the race. So whatever he's doing is not working. People see right through it. Everybody understands he's just a, you know, a loud mouth, a blowhorn. Nobody's buying anything that he said. This, this Trump junior act is not working with the voters. At least if, if the voters want a Trump, they're going to vote for Trump. They're not going to vote for a clone of Trump. So I don't right. even understand his strategy. Okay, so you're going to be very happy. I'm going to admit that I was wrong. <laughs> Doesn't happen very often. <sighs> yeah, um, I mean, you know, the dude is is eloquent. He's he's polished. You know, he's a billionaire you know, guy. But everybody, see, we've done that before, right? We played that record. We've seen that movie. So he's not offering anything fresh, new, innovative, and Cloning yourself after someone else. I mean, that is that's the worst I think that you can do. I mean, being inauthentic is horrible. And everybody sees right through that. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I may end up being right because if for some reason Donald so but I'm still I'm giving you I'm giving you the win right now. But if Donald Trump is no longer in the race for some reason, I think he may actually be poised to take over a significant percentage of the Donald Trump vote. And maybe that's his strategy. But back to Nikki Haley for a second. She's like a normal, almost a normal human being. Almost. 
She was very normal at times when she was governor. I know. The effort to appease Donald Trump, right, and the MAGA crowd that makes her do really stupid things, things that are out of her character, things that I think are causing her to stay in the single digits. Right. And and I think that that qualifies for having sold your soul. And I find that repulsive. But the truth is. Well, talk about selling your soul. Let's talk about Tim Scott looking into the camera saying that uh, he's been discriminated against, that he's a black man, that he takes issue with Ron DeSantis's recharacterization of slavery. Yet America is not a racist country. What was the purpose of that completely hollow, uh, fallacious, completely idiotic statement by a black man running uh, for president and, uh, you know, Tim Scott in the South of South Carolina. What was the purpose of that? Who was I don't he know, trying to appeal to? I, first of all, I, I, I don't think he's that smart. He's just recycling all sorts of crazy stuff that is superficially attractive, but, you know, a half an inch thick. But I have to tell you, as a white man, I was offended by that. You know what he said. <laughs> I, I, I think you could be a purple man and be offended by that because it it was so disingenuous and it just seemed to come from nowhere. That's what this talk about the preparation for this debate. It just seemed like they all uh, decided that they needed to be combative, that they needed to be quote unquote aggressive and forceful. And there was so much talking over each other, so much disrupting. Uh, you know, disruption of the process that it made it difficult to watch. And I think a lot of people probably tuned out. But again, these are people who are voting for a reality TV star who is a chaos maker, who creates drama with every breath that he takes. And I think that's become the new normal for the Republican Party. So I would be surprised, and I think they would lose audience, Ariba, if they had a PBS-style serious debate. I mean, I think we're lucky that there was any policy content in there at all. I mean, I mean, seriously, I, I come back to what I said, which I think is one of the most surreal things I've ever seen in my life, that this man is not only polling above 50% within the Republican Party, I'm talking about Donald Trump, but there are poll after poll after poll is saying that he is close to Joe Biden or even frickin beating him, which if he puts himself together with Nikki Haley, I am concerned. I'm not concerned at all. Doesn't mean we shouldn't work our butts off. Doesn't mean we should take anything for granted. But I think the same thing we saw in the last election, we're going to see again and perhaps even more strikingly this time. And, I, and you know, we have to remind people, and you know this, Joe Biden came out today, you know, uh, with fists out and really attacking Donald Trump. And as the year progresses, as this year progresses, as next year begins, we're going to see ad after ad after ad. We're going to be inundated with ads reminding us that he has been deemed a rapist, reminding us that Trump has been deemed a cheat, that the billionaire persona was all fake. It was one big fraud. And I think when people start to tune in, not the insiders, I don't put any faith in those polls. I don't know who they're talking to. I don't know what kinds of questions and how they're spinning the questions, because we know that matters in polls. 
But I think when the evidence gets presented to the American people and people start to tune in, what is being pretty much brushed off today, I think people are going to start taking very seriously. When we come forward, I want to talk about uh, Joe, Donald Trump asking the RNC to just trash the next series of debates and basically said, just crown me the king, you know, make this a coronation. And what might happen if Donald Trump decides not even to debate Joe Biden? When we come forward, more on KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We're back and we're talking about the GOP debate that took place uh, in Simi Valley, California last night. It was the second debate of the presidential candidates who would like to be the nominee on the GOP side. Uh, Asa Hutchinson, who was on the stage for the first debate, did not qualify for the second debate. And President or former President Donald Trump was not present yesterday. He also was not present at the first debate. And now he's calling on the Republican National Committee to pretty much do away with the other debates that are planned uh, for the nominees. He's saying, what's the purpose? I am so far ahead of all of these uh, candidates. These debates are of no consequence. They have no real purpose because I'm clearly going to be the nominee. Uh, Richard Green is joining me in this hour as we are breaking down the debates and talking about the winners and the losers. So, Richard, what do you make of Donald Trump's plea to the RNC to just you know, trash the rest of any debates that are planned because he's saying there's no purpose. They're not going to win. I have already, as you said, gotten so far ahead of any of the candidates that these debates are pretty useless. So newsflash, Ariva, Donald Trump does not believe in democracy. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, he's a fascist. He's anti-democratic. He's a demagogue. He's a dictator. Um, he truly, truly, truly believes that. I mean, every single thing he's done his entire public career shows that he is above the law or he believes he's above the law, he's above the processes. He considers himself to be at a higher level of human being mm -hmm. based on, quite honestly, his malignant narcissism, which really <laughs> reflects the fact that he deep down doesn't believe he's worth anything, but that's a whole nother show. So I am far more concerned about the lack of debate for the Democratic Party than I am for the Republican Party. And I think you're going to bite me on 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 that, because I think that Joe Biden may not be the, the horse we want to ride into this fight. Well, he's the horse that we have. So we're we going to have to stick with Joe Biden. And you know, Richard, uh, better than anyone, that when you are voting for a president, you are voting for an administration, you are voting for an approach to governance. And so Joe Biden may not be the almighty, but when you consider the alternative, there is not even a match because Joe Biden has a cabinet of 25 plus people uh, and a vice president who have been delivering for the American people since they have all been in office. And Donald Trump, I think Joe Biden put it best today. Donald Trump wants to be president so that he can meet out 
retribution for those people <laughs> he thinks have, you know, done him wrong. He's telling the Republican extremists, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene and company, shut down the government, defund the Department of Justice so that they can stop their prosecution of this uh, case against me in New York. So I, I don't even understand why we make any comparison between uh, Trump and Biden. Trump has no policy positions. He doesn't care about helping the American people. He just wants to be in office so that he can get back and do harm to the people he thinks have done harm to him. But hold that thought. I want to talk, go back to Nikki Haley. You, you know, you were very, very complimentary of her. So I wanted to go and see what other experts thought about her performance last night. So I, I went to the good old Washington Post and they, oh, I'm sorry, it's the New York Times, forgive me, <laughs> their, their rival. And they did a, a breakdown, the winners and losers of last night. And when Nikki Haley came up, everybody, and this was a combination of Dems and Republican pundits, they were all pretty hard on Nikki Haley. They said she, uh, of course, had that famous line. But other than that, they said she did not deliver in the way that she had in the first debate that her performance, here's one of the, uh, Michelle Cottle said, her performance was as feisty as last time, but she seemed less in control, less focused. Uh, she, a disappointing follow-up, this is uh, another commentator, to her well-received first debate. She mostly made an impression playing Amy Klobuchar to Vivek Ramaswamy's Pete Buttigieg, a show of feminine contempt for a male Tyro that was fun enough to watch but didn't build on the momentum towards second place that she needed from the evening. What do you say to those commentators? I, I say they're operating in an alternate universe. Sorry, I'm outside at USC. An alternate universe where thoughtful prefrontal cortex kinds of discussion are are valued. That's not the game. I mean, she was up there in this precious position as a the only woman, a rare, strong woman in the Republican Party. And I think the whole thing is what what people are going to remember who are predisposed to want to vote for her or move that there is even a woman at that level is she stood up to Tim Scott. You know, she she was showing strength. Well, let me let me stop you there. This is what they say about that show of strength, as you describe it. They said, uh, you know, she, uh, the governor Haley, decided to play the role that Vivek Ramaswamy played last time, frequently interrupting and attacking others. This will earn her good press, but not many more votes. She's auditioning for a television slot rather than the GOP nomination. I think she's auditioning for vice president. And I think if you look at the values and the communication values of the guy who's going to be the likely nominee, he he's not moved by thoughtful dialogue. He's moved by someone who's going to fight and particularly fight for him. And the thing where we go back to her selling her soul, she didn't do, I am certain that if we took her into a private room and said, what do you think of Donald Trump? Her words would be not dissimilar from Chris Christie or Asa Hutchinson. So I think that's the real job. How does she do this? 
How does she get up, stand on that stage and continue to to walk this incredibly fine line, Ariva? you know, be sensible, not overtly sell her soul while she doesn't criticize a guy that she probably thinks is disgusting. But so I, I lose respect for her, but I think it's a complex game. And I think she's playing it pretty well. Listen, I, I think all of them are disgusting. You know, the only one who's not, you know, except for his some of his other comments is is Chris Christie, who is who is calling out. Chris the Christie is duplicitous and disgusting. Let, let's keep moving. Though. We got a lot. Of, we got a lot of disgusting people to talk about. Let's talk about Ron DeSantis. This was supposed to be the number one do that could take out Donald Trump. I'm going back to my New York uh, Times article looking at what the uh, commentators had to say. Let me get your take, and I'm going to tell you what others of your profession are saying. What what was Ron DeSantis' score in your book? Um, I think he has a ceiling of 7.5. I thought he was a 6.75. He's just inherently boring. <laughs> Uh, so here's what one of them says. If one is currently not leading the presidential primary, one should not debate as if one is. He was barely there. And when he was, he seemed that he wished he were elsewhere. His strongest moment was on the subject of abortion, a topic which he believes he shares more in common with voters than he actually does. Do you think that was his strongest point? Probably. But I, I, here's what I love about that issue, Ariva that the Republican Party is walking into a landmine. I mean, in the, in, sorry, in the, in the primaries, they have to be all about, you know, a six-week abortion ban or banning abortion altogether. And we have seen state after state how that has backfired on them in, when, when you actually have more than just Republicans voting. So, I I love the abortion debate, and I think they're all handling it about as well as they can handle it. But it is it it, it is a losing issue. Although, as you may know, Joe Biden today said his main focus is not going to be on that. It's going to be on democracy. But I think we have that as an issue. But again, I don't yeah, think Ron that, DeSantis that, that could is change. going anywhere. His main focus is going to be on what's going to get him elected. And women across this country is going to be our main focus. Uh, let's talk about Ron DeSantis' very disingenuous comment about the slavery uh, reinvention of what <laughs> slavery is. He, you know, the guy makes these really tough policies. But on the national stage, he doesn't seemingly want to stand up to them. He wants to gaslight and mislead the people, the American public, about what he has done, what he says he's so proud of, what he's done in Florida. When we come forward, more about Ron DeSantis. And did he have a performance last night that can uh, you know, get him back to the number two slot? Or is he pretty much DOA? I'm going to talk to Richard Green about that. Stick with us. KBLA Talk 1580. We're back. All right, Richard. Did uh, Ron DeSantis do himself any favors by saying Donald Trump was absent? He seemingly took a couple of swipes at Donald Trump for not being on the debate stage. However, he didn't talk about Donald Trump's criminal indictments. He didn't talk about Donald Trump being deemed a rapist or a cheat. But he did, I guess, in his own way, 
take Donald Trump on? You know, do you think that mattered to the uh, voters he's trying to appeal to? I would say no for him because Ron DeSantis has a brand and he has spent the last, what, four years kissing Donald Trump's you know what. And I think he's pretty good. And it's this unbelievably difficult strategic position these people are in of how far can they go, right? I mean, every single time they say something negative about Donald Trump, it seems not to help them or hurt them, right? But there is this tremendous risk that everything's going to backfire and everything they dreamed about for the last whatever number of years is going to is going to all go down the drain if they say too much. But if they don't say more than what they're currently saying, they're not going to move the needle. And then you factor into that strategy of if they want to be vice president, they cannot criticize Donald Trump beyond a certain point. I I don't honestly, if I were their advisor, I would say switch parties your party is completely <laughs> insane. Your your candidate is completely insane. You lose credibility every single time you open your mouth. Um, but then I watch, as we talked about, Ariva, I see the polling, and it, it looks like at this point, Donald Trump and his administration could be what we're looking at for the next four years. Well, that's not true, and I'm not going to speak that into life. Uh, and I think the more we reject that, uh, the more likely it is that that becomes our reality, that Donald Trump is sitting somewhere under house arrest or in a jail because the odds of him beating 91 criminal charges are close to zero. Uh, but let's, we, last couple of minutes, we got to talk about Mike Pence. Uh, you know, uh, give me your assessment of, of how our former VP did. Um, again, I, I think the... The only person that is close to as boring as he is, is Ron DeSantis. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just unbelievable how how lackluster he is. And he, he seems so proud of himself if he ever says something with a little bit of oomph. I mean, he's so polished. <laughs> there's no there's no there there. And I just love his face. Again, we talked about the sport where he. He proudly was talking about sleeping with a woman. His wife to- of 38 years, mind you. Right. Uh, and it's- for me, Richard, about Mike Pence is you said Tim Scott doesn't seem that bright. And I think I agree with you on that. I say about Mike Pence, he seems too slow. He just isn't quick enough. In a debate, you've got to be quick. You've got to be able to respond on the fly. His responses are so, you know, just plotting and methodical and he is running seemingly for a party that no longer exists he's he has this kind of like blind you know loyalty to reaganism and that's not the party it's a trump party and he's still clinging to uh, a party that is since been dead and i think his most effective way that he can have any impact and you just said it's risky is to talk about January 6th and the harm caused to the country, to the democracy by Donald Trump on January 6th, because he was the guy there. He has the inside knowledge about that. But that's risky, as you said, because if he talks about that and criticizes Donald Trump and says Donald Trump deserves to be treated like every other insurrectionist that has to face consequences, 
then he loses the MAGA base, which he's already lost. I mean, the MAGA base is not with him anyhow. So. Listen, if, if I were to give strategic advice to Mike Pence, it would be to amplify way more than he does the fact that he was right there for those four years that most Americans say they had a better quality of life. I mean, I don't think it's true, but they say it because it was before inflation and before, you know, COVID really, you know, took the wheels out from under the economy. And for him to say, I was in the room with Donald Trump every moment in the Oval Office. I was part of the decision making process. I do not have 91 indictments against me. I am going to be here on November 5th and for the next four years. We're not certain about Mr. Trump. If you want a continuation of those good times, even though I'm not as fun as your as your hero, <laughs> you got to elect me. I think that's his best shot. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it wouldn't be a winning shot, but I, I tend to agree with you. He needs to, and that's wow. how most vice presidents run, right? They run on the record if the record is considered good. And they run away from the record if the record is considered bad. And to the base that they're talking to, you're right. They consider it a great record. So why isn't he running on it? Uh, but I, I think the stench of Donald Trump is so great. I don't think he wants to really have people have an image in their minds of him being in the Oval Office with Donald Trump because that's too close to being there for the insurrection. Okay, uh, real quickly, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, deserves, I guess, two minutes of our time. Uh, he's irritating, obviously, to the other candidates and to other people. Uh, he's fun. He's, you know, he's the spark on the stage, but it's not translating into votes. So what's this guy's end game? It's obviously not to be president. He knows he's not going to be the president. Here, Here's the end game for a lot of them, and that is they will never in their entire lives be given this kind of a platform or an audience. And they're going to milk it however they can. They're going to get booked on Fox News a lot more. They're going to have speaking engagements where they can make money. They can protect. But Vivek doesn't need money. He's already so wealthy. No, I'm talking about all of the guys. For him, I think he has such a massive ego that he's just... It's just, oh, my God, it's he's he's having a public orgasm every minute he's out there, at, at, you know, with this biggest stage and he's going to milk it for all it's worth. And he will not drop out that. that oh, no, he's not dropping out. It's too much attention. You're right. He's getting, uh, you know, lauded when he goes into cities. He's he's being cheered. He's was trying to rap, you know, use Eminem's lyrics before that got shut down with a cease and desist letter. I agree with you. For him, it's pure, pure ego. Uh, yeah. Doug Burgum, nobody talks about him, but he was there. He was there. Uh, he was a nice guy. He seemed cogent, seemed smart enough. Uh, why is Doug there? He he loves, I have to tell you, Vivek Ramaswamy loves hearing himself talk. So there's going to be an endless supply of that. Doug Burgum, actually, you know, he's, He's probably the closest to a real human being, um, but he has he has about as much chance of being the nominee as you do. And he's not going to be second. Uh, let's talk real quickly. I don't see Trump picking any of these candidates because he's going to be pissed off that they ran against him. Uh, he's not the kind of guy that's going to say, well, Nikki Haley, 
you know, you're a female, you're a woman of color, maybe you can help balance out the ticket. He's too vindictive. You had the audacity, the, the unmitigated gall to challenge me. And whatever one or two or five negative things Nikki has said about him, he's going to hold her responsible for those things. There's one, I totally agree with you, except there's one factor here, and that is his end game is he doesn't want to go to jail. And if his pollsters say, Mr. Trump, all the other Fox News hosts or whoever it is that you're going to want to choose as your VP will cause you to lose, even though they are appropriately, you know, adoring you. But Nikki Haley gives you your best shot to win by a lot. I think he will make that decision reluctantly, but he will because Richard, really there is no evidence in the record that Donald Trump follows good advice from lawyers, particularly totally doesn't follow their advice or from his political strategist. So I, I, you may be right. That might be advice given to him, but I cannot imagine that his ego and his, his vindictive totally spirit would allow him to even follow good advice. Who is he going to pick? Uh, I'm not sure. And to the extent it is some, we know Carrie Lake is down at Mar-a-Lago auditioning every day. Uh, you know, she's trying to be the, the pick. I, I, that remains to be seen. Uh, he likes surprising folks. So I think whoever it is is going to be someone that's completely uh, not on the radar, someone that we're, none of us are thinking about because he likes that shock value. We are out of time. Thank you so much, Love. Richard. I know you were at a conference, so I appreciate you making time for this interview. Your insights are invaluable. Uh, we're going to continue to watch what happens with these GOP candidates. The next show coming up is The Raw Report with Robin Ayers right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Don't touch that dial.